There are basically two types of power, power to do things and power over things. Men favour one style and women the other. If power has to be about dominance and control, women don't really want it, according to study after study. Say two women who want to redefine power. Katie Kay is a special correspondent in America for the BBC, and Claire Shipman is an award-winning journalist. And they say this different mindset has affected the ability of women to rise in leadership positions. They propose some audacious changes in their new book, which is called The Power Code. More joy, less ego, maximum impact for women and everyone. And Katie Kay joins me now. Hello. Hi, Jesse. So before we redefine power, we should probably define it. What are we talking about here? Well, I think the, the idea of power that we've all understood for centuries and that has been, you know, from Machiavelli onwards and through Lord Acton with his infamous quote about power corrupting, uh-huh. the one that's always come down to us through kind of writers and histories and, and politicians in particular has been this notion of power as a zero-sum commodity. So you, Jesse, have more, that means there's less for me, right? It's a, uh-huh. it's a, we're, in, we're competing for a... a, a specific amount of something and there is this hierarchical domineering nature of power um, that our research has shown women don't find appealing so the reason we wrote the book was because like many other women and men around the world we're frustrated by how little progress there has been for women at the very top and we have you know 10 percent of ceos are women less than 10 percent of countries are run by women and we just felt you know after all of the effort that's been put into it that was not enough and we wondered whether there was something about power itself that women just don't find appealing and our research backs that up research out of harvard shows that women think the costs of getting power are too high because we have lots of other things we want to do with our lives more so than men do but also that power itself this idea of power as a zero-sum commodity as something that is hierarchical and dominant domineering in nature just isn't very appealing for women. And I think that's what you're getting is a kind of clash of sensibilities when it gets to the top of the pyramid. Yeah. And catty elephant in the room, is it a bit of a stereotype to say that women have a kinder, a kinder gentler approach to power? I don't know that it's necessarily, you know, would I say it was kinder, gentler? I mean, the women who leaders who we profile are incredibly effective Um, And that's why we put the word impact in the title, because we think this way of thinking about power is more impactful. I mean, you know, we interview women leaders who say they have to make the tough decisions. You know, you're not performing well in your job. They're still the person that's going to have to fire you if they Mm -hmm. are your boss. So it's not that women get let off the hook from making tough decisions. They're absolutely capable of making those tough decisions and they will do those. But what motivates women, according to our research, more than men is what the the impact is of power. What's the why of power? What's the purpose of power? What are you going to do with that power? Because think about it, and it kind of makes sense, right? If the cost of getting power is high because women have more of what are called life values, we value time with our families, time with our parents, time with our communities, time to go running, time to develop relationships with our friendships, that kind of thing, there has to be a benefit to that power. And what we have found in our research is that the benefit, what drives and motivates women to seek power and leadership is what they can do with that power. And that is the idea of having an impact. 
is there much evidence for this view that women see or, or that they desire power, a uh, different sort of power? Yeah, so we interviewed, I mean, we've interviewed, there are people who study power for a living. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not one of them, but we've interviewed lots of them. And we kind of interviewed everyone in the in the US and, and many in Europe who are kind of make power their their academic pursuit. And what we found actually interestingly is that as more women are getting into the field of studying what power is and defining what power is and how it's used and who has it and how it's wielded, the definition of power is broadening. And that's where we got this idea that sort of the traditional kind of academic definition of power has been, I have power over somebody or power over resources or power over something. I can make somebody do what I, what they don't necessarily want to do. And that is the idea of power. And as more women are getting into the field yeah. of, of academic research around power, this idea of actually power to do things is, is starting to become more accepted as a definition of power. You've written this book with Claire Shipman, who is a White House correspondent, um, was for many years. You're a BBC presenter and correspondent. And I'm interested in whether this was a revelation for you and whether on reflection either of you had rejected that traditional view of power yourselves in your careers. I think, you know, that's a a great question, Jesse. I mean, when I, when, as we researched this book, I think what I realized is that many of the things I wanted to do with my career over the year, my instincts were probably right. um, And that the way I saw getting the job done was probably actually a very effective way of getting the job done, whether it was the kinds of interviews I chose to do, the way I conducted those interviews, the, the people I the stories I sought out, actually, my instincts were right. But often, I think, particularly when I was starting out, the bosses above me tended to be male. And and more importantly, the role models of of successful uh, interviewers and correspondents, many of them were male. Uh And so that was the kind of dominant, and it was this kind of more, I'm sure you've come across it, the more kind of gotcha style of interviewing, the more, you know, aggressive I was often told I wasn't aggressive enough why yeah. didn't I ask the gotcha adversarial. And actually I think adversarial and I think actually the way I my instinct in how I conduct interviews is probably the, a right one I get a lot more out of those interviews by not pretending to be something that I'm not only 10% of CEOs are female worldwide 27 of the world's 200 odd countries have female leaders is that a reflection of power as it is currently defined I think it is. I mean, I think uh, that does reflect this ambivalence that a lot of women have about power. Um, Because we all know billions have been spent around the world on diversity and inclusion programs, not with much benefit. I mean, to the extent there has been a benefit, it tends to have been for white women and not for women of colour, for whom it's much harder to get to the top. Um, But I think that what we have hit on here and the women leaders we have interviewed who say that we've put a framework around this is something more fundamental. And and this idea that if we could redefine, and we chose the subtitle very carefully, the idea of joy and power don't go very often Mm -hmm. hand in hand. But I think that if we could present women with something that is about power that allows them to have an impact, and there is real joy in doing, the women leaders we interview have real joy in the way they change their organizations for the better or impact their teams for the better or their communities for the better uh, or their countries in the terms of, you know, female politicians. I think that 
makes power something that is worth aspiring to because look there's no way women aren't capable of this we're better educated than men we have more degrees we have more postgraduate degrees we have more phds now in america than men so there's, there's nothing about our competence levels that would suggest we you know shouldn't be able to be ceos or world leaders i think it is that power as we know it has come down to us through the centuries i mean understandably right it was powers defined by and for men largely for very many generations and it is now and i think the reason we thought this is a good moment to write this book is because we've come out of the me too movement we've come out of the black lives matter movement here in the states we've come out of covid and so much is up in the air that i think we took as received wisdom that we thought this is a great moment to think well actually what about this thing that is blocking us at the top yeah. isn't that up for renegotiation too and we shouldn't let um, the system off the hook. You know, you, you, this is this great quote from you. You say, women are often promoted on the basis of performance, men on the basis of promise. Mm -hmm. There is something genuinely wrong there, and it's possibly not just a power problem. It's a sexism problem. Yeah, I think there are, you know, there are structural problems for us getting power. There's, it, we have the evidence in the book. It's all data-driven. Um, when we speak to, the, to leaders who have recognized this in companies that, men are promoted on the basis of what their potential is, whereas women have to have actually already jumped through all of the hoops. Mm -hmm. Well, that there and in itself is, makes it much harder. Women are expected to be much more perfect than men. Um, you know, all of the old tropes about how women talk in, in, in work and whether we're seen as you know too bitchy, too aggressive, too, uh, if we don't behave in the way that women are meant to behave, all of those stereotypes, I mean, all of those hurdles are very real. Uh, and need to be dismantled. And I think that it's it's worth companies. Uh, there's a lot in this book that is very specific advice for companies, but also for women themselves um, in how we could. And I wish I could say there was a silver bullet. And if we did one thing, Jesse, we would change everything. <laughs> but it's not, except that we all have a p part to play. And there are things we can all do immediately to change the way that organizations work. And, and a lot of that is about changing culture. I'm speaking to Katie Kay, special correspondent in America for the BBC and co-author of a new book called The Power Code, More Joy, Less Ego, Maximum Impact for Women and Everyone. Katie, you mentioned Lord Acton before. Does power, in fact, corrupt? Power corrupts men more than it corrupts <laughs> women. That was one of the more startling findings in our book. I mean, Lord Acton's phrase is power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And the bit of that phrase that perhaps most people don't know is the bit that follows, which is great men are nearly always bad men. Now, Lord Acton was writing in the 1880s, so he didn't have a lot of powerful women to take as his sample. Mm. But um, we have found evidence that women who rise to the top of organizations are um, manage to keep their empathy and connection to those lower down in the organization uh, much more than men do. Women are up to 80% less likely to be charged with corruption when they're in leadership positions than men are around the world. Um, so power does not seem to corrupt women in the same way. And maybe it is because women are more focused on the why of power, on what they can do with power, on how they can um, you know, improve organizations and companies and countries 
uh, perhaps more than men are. Um, so, you know, if we, I think if we looked around the world and thought, wow, it's all going so great. Um, and the world is being run so wonderfully. Perhaps we wouldn't have felt there was a need to write this book. But <laughs> I don't know about you. I look around the world and I think, Jesse, perhaps there is a need, to, a need in some ways anyway to have a rethink. Power might corrupt your body. Um, you've had a look at the research and apparently it's not particularly good for your health, at least power in the traditional sense. Yeah, it's really interesting. And we did look at the neuroscience of power. Uh, and it's and it's a kind of fairly new field, the way people are looking at what happens to our brains on power. And power does tend to make people, um, there, there's a very interesting study that shows that power makes people kind of uh, messier and less thoughtful and ruder um, to some people. But it also, power can do, have a positive impact on our brain's as well, power can make us more authentic, which I think for a lot of women is quite appealing. It allows us to be more of our true selves in some ways. I mean, in a way, power is a tool. It's And so getting that tool into the right hands is very important for societies. If the right people are wielding that power, the power will be used effectively. And it stands to reason like, but people who have power are more likely to succeed in their ambitions. Um, a power gives us action. It's an, it's the, literally, they've done tests where they've primed people for power, made people remember times they were more powerful, stuck a whole load of electrodes on their brains. And what they see, the neuroscientists, is that the behavioral activation system of our brains fires up when we are primed for power. In other words, our brain is more active. We, it, the, system, the part of our brain that inspires us to take action is more alive when we have power. So people who have power are going to take more action. People who do not have power are going to act more timidly. Um, so having power actually can also be a good thing for us. You talk in the book about one of the biggest barriers to women getting power, and it's not a bad boss. Uh, it's husbands <laughs> and or partners. Mm. Well, hopefully not and. Husbands mm. or partners. Well, why is that? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this, we had not expected, Claire and I have written, you know, a lot of books on confidence, and we've done research yeah. with politicians and scientists and academics, we certainly did not expect to get into marriages. <laughs> uh, but it became pretty clear quite quickly that uh, women are never going to get power outside of the home unless we do something about our power relationships inside the home. Uh -huh. So we are very good at very many things, but we have not figured out how to put 36 hours into a 24 hour day. And we do not have time to be doing all of the, you know, the, the, the majority still of the chores and the caregiving and the planning of the chores and the emotional labor and the cognitive labor and all of the things that women are doing much more of than men in the home. We can't do all of that and be able to have enough time to free up our brains and our energy to pursue power outside of the home. Uh -huh. um, men in America, a man in America who does not have a job does less housework than a woman who has a full-time job. Um, <laughs> we all know the statistics right around the world. Oh, they are in New Zealand as well as they are in any other country that men are doing more than they used to do, but they're not doing half. Um, and until men are doing much more, it's going to be, and they're really focused on the care element. And, and it's not just a question of throwing the laundry in the washing machine. It's the question of, realizing when the laundry needs to be done, buying the detergent, folding the clothes, making sure that all the sheets and the towels are done as well. It's the, it's the mental energy that goes into caregiving that women's brains are so much more preoccupied with than men's. Um, and I think that's what really needs to change. 
a lot of the stuff is great in theory, but I should point out that you talk about the practice as well. Um, could we talk briefly about the first black female CEO of an American national basketball team, Cynthia Marshall? Cynt, it's the Dallas Mavericks. And when you looked at the job that she did, was she embracing the kind of power, the alternative kind of power that you're talking about? Yeah, she really was. We love Cynt. I mean, she talk about joy and power. Um, she is a woman who just, you know, exudes joy. You would love her. She's a great interview. She has behind her on her shelf a kind of little tiara. We said, Cynt, you know, what is the tiara? You're the CEO of a kind of men's basketball yeah. team. And she said, oh, that's my queen of the castle stuff. That's to remind people that people with power are queens of the castle. And she has a great laugh. But what Cynt has done that I think is pretty revolutionary and gets into this idea of power to get things done is she has she really encourages uh, her her and her leadership team to know her employees and encourages her employees to bring what she calls their whole selves to work. So you know she wants to know what how how is your family doing? What's your family situation? How are you feeling about your prospects? How's your family? You know what are your kids feeling? Are there problems? And she comes from a very troubled background herself. She had an abusive father, and she knows that she as she says you know you don't leave home in the morning and stop into a phone booth and put on a Superman cape and turn up in the office. The person who leaves home in the morning is the same person that turns up in the office. And if, if companies can see that not as a problem, but as an asset, then those companies will be stronger, talent retention will be higher, um, your engagement, your ability to get your company through difficult times will be better because people will feel they can trust each other. And it's not just a management tool, we feel it's, you know, it really gets to this idea of, Power too. She's having an impact on her organization by changing the traditional way that, you know, that she's she's taking down the walls of church and state between people's lives and their personal lives and all of the life values that so many women have and their professional lives. You said before power is not a zero sum game. And I'm sure you will tell me that if we change our definition of power, it will not only be good for women, but it will be good for men, too. Yeah, I think, you know, apart from looking into marriages, one of the other things that really surprised us as we did the research for this book, and we spoke and interviewed a lot of men, was the degree to which men are kind of in a box. Um, Men's options are actually much narrower than women's. If you think about it, women now, today, we can work full-time, we can work part-time, we can work not at all and raise children. All of that is socially acceptable. Our research shows that it's still really only socially acceptable for men to be breadwinners. It's very hard for men to break out of that mold. It's very hard actually for men not to be the primary breadwinner. All of the data shows that in couples where the man earns less than the wife, it does cause a lot of problems. They go so far in the States as lying about that on the US census form in order to try and look like the guy is still earning more. And I think that just that made us think, wow, this is so sad. We interviewed one guy who said, you know, when he quit his job because he had burnout, he quit his job and his wife became the primary breadwinner. And he said, you know, I felt like I had failed at the one thing I was meant to succeed at. I mean, how sad is that to think that that's the one thing you're meant to succeed at, to have your horizons that limited? But he was reflecting what society still sees. And society is very condemnatory of men who do not work, very condemnatory of men who, it's why the number of stay-at-home dads has not risen very much. I mean, I know when I was at university in the 80s, I assumed half of the world would be stay-at-home dads, (laughs) but it hasn't happened at all. The numbers have really not shifted. And I think if we are going to 
we have to address that part of it, partly in order to allow women to expand more, but also to give men more options and to allow men to have much more um, involvement in all of those kind of other life values and caregiving options that are available to women. Any advice for individual women listening who don't want to just sit around and wait for change? There's a great one lovely piece of advice, two pieces of advice. One is one of the best phrases we heard from a um an academic was if you're in a meeting and you're being talked over by a man three simple words let me finish (laughs) or if you're standing up for another woman let her finish um it's it's clear it's short it doesn't come across as whiny and it said in real time it can totally change the dynamic of a meeting the other one that we think i think this many women listeners might love is this idea of priming yourself for power so you can actually get your brain to feel more powerful. It's amazing. You can, if you, you spend 15 minutes thinking of a time where you had power over a situation or power in a situation, or you felt you could have an impact and your brain will absorb that, but you have to write it down with a pen and paper. You take a pen and paper and for five minutes, you write about that time when you felt you had power, particularly power in relation to other people, um, power to get things done. And if you are, the studies have shown that if you do that, you prime your brain for power. When you go in for a job interview or you're going in for a high profile meeting or you're going in for a pay raise negotiation, if you prime yourself for power, so think of a time when you felt powerful for about 10 minutes, write it down for old school pen and paper for five minutes, the impact of that can last for days. And the studies have shown that people who go into job negotiations having primed themselves for power have a far better chance of getting those jobs than those that don't so that i think that's just a wonderful piece of neuroscience that we we were given before you go i can't um miss this opportunity to ask a special correspondent for the bbc in america who was going to win the presidential election next year <laughs> if i knew that jesse i really would have powers beyond the power <laughs> that i have um look i think it's going i mean i'm not to dodge the question it's going to be very close. I think it's hard to see a way that any of the Republican candidates can win the nomination at this point. I mean, maybe something dramatic will happen. But, you know, if I had to put my BBC pension somewhere, I would put it on Donald Trump winning the Republican Party nomination. And then you have to give whoever has the Republican Party nomination a 46, 47 percent chance of winning. I mean, that's the way America works. Hmm. It's a split country and elections are close. So uh, I think. I, I can't tell you, you know, what will happen and election cycles are long and expensive and grandiose and anything can happen. Um, outside factors can come and disrupt things. But at the moment, it looks like we're looking at a Trump-Biden runoff and it's going to be a close election. Incredible. I've so enjoyed talking to you. The book is called The Power Code. More joy, less ego, maximum impact for women and everyone. And Katty Kay, well done on the book and thanks so much for your time today. Jesse, thank you so much.